Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dana Schwartz. This is Popcorn Book Club, and this week we are continuing our discussion of Angie Thomas's novel, The Hate You Give. As always, I'm joined by Jennifer Wright, Kramadankwa, Tian Tran, and Melissa Hunter. This is part two of our discussion, but just to catch you up super quick, the book follows 16-year-old Star Carter, a young Black woman who sees her best friend shot and killed by police in front of her during a routine traffic stop. Now, we recorded this discussion a few weeks ago, and I want to say that it's heartbreaking that this work of fiction from 2017 is so immediately relevant in our world and that it's so relevant again right now, this week, and it shouldn't be. But as long as it is, I am proud to be having this discussion alongside these amazing women. And just to make it very clear, Popcorn Book Club says Black Lives Matter. So last week, Star had just gone to the police station to give her testimony on what had happened, and Karama picks it up from there. She goes to Khalil's funeral, where she is reminded of the funeral for Natasha and how they both seem like mannequins in their coffins and they don't have the life in them that they had in life. And there's a lot of talk about Khalil's dimples and how in that coffin he doesn't have those. Uh, and at the funeral... Uh, the King Lords come, led by King, and they leave a gray bandana on his body, which is a sign that you are a member of the King Lords, because gray is one of the King Lord colors. And uh, Miss Rosalie, who is Khalil's grandma, freaks out, understandably so, grabs the bandana, throws it at King, and tells him to get out. And Aisha, uh, then Aisha, who is Seven's mom and uh, and Kenya's mom, then says, oh, like, why are you being such a bitch, basically? And we offered to pay for this funeral. And then Miss <laughs> Rosalie calls her a whore, which is 
not gracious, but no one in this instance is being gracious. And I think Miss Rosalie has the most reason not to be at this point. Uh, and then that's when we sort of find out a little bit more about Aisha and Mav and find out that Maverick, who is both Seven and Star's father, did hire her as a sex worker. And that is how Seven was conceived. So, and it was after a night that he fought with Lisa. Mm -hmm. So he was with Lisa first, and then he ends up involved with Aisha for one night, and then we get seven. So it's really interesting. We find out more about this sort of, I use the term blended family because I feel like people don't use that term for Black people very often. And I think that when similar instances happen to non-Black families, people are like, oh, we're a blended family. We're all sorts of like eclectic and... It's not something mm -hmm. that is ideal and nobody had planned it, but they are a family and they do love each other a lot. And Seven is treated like a biological son by Lisa. And later in the book, we find out that he tells people that she's his mom at school in particular. And some of that is from shame. Some of that is from a love of her, uh, shame of his actual mother, but or not actual, biological mother. And uh, so then... We have this funeral, and I think right before the funeral, there is an incident with a basketball game. They're playing a pickup basketball game, and it's Maya and Haley mm -hmm. and Star, and they're playing against three boys, including Chris. And when Chris steals the ball from Star, Haley makes a snide comment and says, why don't you just treat the ball like it's fried chicken? And then Star gets reasonably and understandably upset and Haley gets upset mm -hmm. also that she is being accused of being a racist <laughs> fucking Haley <laughs> yeah I think we should talk about Haley and Maya here oh Haley uh, obviously as we go on the dynamics there become more complicated but um I think that this is the first real instance where we see like oh shit's off with Haley a little bit uh, we did see it a little bit earlier in the very beginning because the party happens at the end of spring break. It's the Saturday at the end of spring break. And then when they get back to school on Monday, uh, there is a line where mm -hmm. Maya says, oh, Haley's been texting me all spring break. And Star's like, the fuck? Why hasn't Haley texted me once all spring break? So there's definitely some mm -hmm. tension there. And uh, do you all want to talk about? She unfollowed yeah, her. she unfollowed her on Tumblr. Bitch move. It truly is a bitch move. <laughs> and like a dirty unfollow. It's not like she explicitly said, I'm yeah. going to yeah. unfollow you because I have difficulty with the content you're posting. And there was no communication about it. It was just like, I'm going to unfollow. No, it's like a cowardly unfollow. Mm -hmm. Super cowardly. Um, Very it, teenage mean girl unfollow. Yeah. It also feels like it treats the content that she's posting in such an incredibly dismissive way um, mm -hmm. to treat a picture of Emmett Till being murdered as though like, oh, why did you post garbage on your Tumblr? I don't like seeing that. That's it's not icky. for me. This is gross. It's icky. I don't want to look at that. And it's like, no one wanted to look at that. And that's why Emmett Till's mm -hmm. mother did that. She specifically mm -hmm. had an open casket funeral mm -hmm. because she said, I want them to see what they did to my little boy. He was 14 years old mm -hmm. when he died. And he was accused of uh, of inappropriate touching with a white woman who was 21 and working in a store. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And that white woman admitted later that she lied about what happened. Mm -hmm. It was discovered in, like, 2017, the year that this book came out, that Carolyn Bryant, the woman who was the alleged victim in the case, that not in the case, but that led people to murder Emmett Till, 
lied about it and she has faced no repercussions, no consequences, and she is still alive. She's still walking this earth, probably feeling at least moderately guilty, I hope, but who, who knows? Just like, yeah, um, that is yeah, one of the yeah. oddest things about all the pictures from that time. They're all black and white. And I think it, at least for me, it it allows me to live in this kind of comfortable idea that all this happened a long time ago. And then you realize, like, all those people are still voting. Those people are like seven yeah. right now. Those people screaming as the schools segregate and holding up just horrible signs when mm-hmm. people try to sit at lunch counters. Mm-hmm. They're all still around. That was uh, yeah. those were people our grandparents it was no one it was like a thing that i realized that i read that the milwaukee police officer who dismissed the jeffrey Dahmer, basically a a teenage a 14 year old from laos mm-hmm. escaped from jeffrey Dahmer naked and drugged and a black girl like a teenager called the cops mm-hmm. to be like clearly this is a situation and her uh mother or grandmother i'm not 100 percent sure there corroborated the story but Jeffrey Dahmer, the only white man in the situation, was like, ha ha, no, it's just a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. He's my boyfriend. He's a little drunk and completely dismissed the multiple people of color who are like, no, there is a fucked up situation happening. They let that boy go back into his room and he was murdered. And then the 10 more people were murdered by Jeffrey Dahmer. And that police officer who didn't respond, who like even noted that Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment smelled like flesh, like, like, like weird smell. He became the head of the police yeah. union and he retired like with a thumbs Ugh. up in 2017. Like these people just like, okay, whatever. How do you live with yourself? That's it. If you found out that that, that, that case, that that kid was then murdered and, and, and cannibalized and then multiple more people were murdered how do you then go another few decades as a police officer? I couldn't do it. I mean, I wouldn't I have been a police know. officer in the first place. I just don't have the constitution. <laughs> I'm very jumpy. Um, mm-hmm. And some people, I just don't, no, I don't have the constitution. And I think that we need to look at some of the things that are happening because it's like we had mentioned earlier, he was so trigger happy, 115, when this happened. Yeah. And it's like, if you mm-hmm. are so afraid of somebody leaning into a vehicle and your first instinct isn't to de-escalate the situation, to ask somebody to step back yeah. from the vehicle, any of that. Like, yes, you told him not to move already. I understand that. But I work with young people. They need things several times sometimes. You need to tell them mm-hmm. multiple times. Like, I said this. I said that. And that's the thing. He is a young person. And mm-hmm. if you're yeah. that trigger happy and you're that jumpy, you need another job. Yeah. It certainly seems like Star was able to remember all of her training as a civilian Mm -hmm. and someone who got a speech one time from her dad. Uh, It seems like 115 was not able to remember any training that he presumably should have had. Well, I think the problem is they're not getting training to to de-escalate situations. That's part of it. But let's talk about friends. I think, I think yeah, oh, the one yeah. it ties back in really well because she's at Haley's. I might be skipping ahead of the story, fine. but thematically it fits in. She's at Haley's when we're watching an interview she's uh, at Maya's. about Maya. Sorry, Maya's, Maya's yeah. with mm-hmm. Haley next to her. Like this is sort of the first time they've hung out in a long time, uh, and they are channel surfing and they come across an interview. And I think this is the interview where One Fifteen's dad is on. Yes, One Fifteen Senior. He's. He's a good boy, and he was just trying his best. Like, the most, like, 
humanizing, like, good old boy, don't ruin this sweet, non-racist boy's life, mm-hmm. the dad is trying yeah. to say. And, and he says that, and oh, he says he can't even go to the store for a gallon of milk, which <laughs> reminded me very much of Brock Turner's case, where his dad was like, he can't eat a steak. And I'm like, yeah. okay, he but he's traumatized someone for life. He can't yeah. enjoy his favorite food. Well, but I mean, Haley, and Haley it seems to indicate that his happiness is as important as this other man's life, which mm-hmm. is yeah. terrifying. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Haley's response is like, "Ooh, that's so sad for that." She blue lives mattered that moment. <laughs> she truly did blue yeah. lives matter that moment. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, I think it's so like interesting, and Angie's just the best mm-hmm. to make Haley. You know, this white woman who's this friend, this white, this white teenager who's this friend. Uh, and to show that like friendship is not enough. Like, I think we're having so many conversations about allyship and what friendship is mm-hmm. and what like mm-hmm. being actually anti-racist is. And to have Allie or uh, Haley as this proxy mm-hmm. for what I think a lot of non-black folks and white folks can sometimes fall into the trap of, of like saying a thing and not thinking that it's offensive or that it like, puts that it's uh, something racist. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's interesting that Maya is Asian American Mm -hmm. because her growth in this story is important and interesting too, because in so many ways, there's a lot of anti-blackness in Asian American community. And she's complicit at the beginning of this. She is. And so she's absolutely Mm -hmm. complicit in the beginning of this and doesn't stand up to Haley and is happy following. And so that is also a very interesting growth in their friendship as well, to have the three of them kind of navigating this together. I actually have a, a quote that I highlighted in uh, the Kindle version of the book. I have both the Kindle version and the um, physical version. And it's from that scene because after Haley storms out, after they get into an argument about how she blew lives matters this moment, Maya admits that there was a moment a couple years prior when they were like freshmen in high school when Haley said something racist to her and she asked her it was after Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and she said oh my grandma came from China and Haley asked did you guys eat a cat because they're Chinese which first of all I don't even think is the correct animal stereotype like I just don't. Um, and then she's a dumb racist. Wow, she's an inaccurate racist. Like that just really gets me. Like if you're gonna be hateful, do it right. <laughs> like do your research. Read Racist oh Weekly. My. <laughs> well, and then Star is like, oh, I don't really remember this. And Maya says, well, you were there. And Star says, what did I say? Maya responds, nothing. You had this look on your face like you couldn't believe she said that. She claimed it was a joke and laughed. I laughed and then you laughed. And then I wrote, there's a complicity that happens when you Mm -hmm. try to belong in a world that's not your own instead of realizing Mm -hmm. that standing out is your greatest strength because they're all trying to make it at Williamson. And they're like, if we just make the white people feel like we're cool, then we'll be okay. And who is that serving at the end of the day? Not you. It's serving people who are contributing to a system that's going to then affect people later when they're applying for jobs and when the things actually matter or when they're the Mm -hmm. cops and they see somebody and they're like, oh, they wear these kind of sneakers. They wear this kind of clothes. They are a threat. Yeah, I loved the the journey of the two of them together of Maya Mm -hmm. and Star and Maya's growth in it. And I saw Haley represents 
I mean, the ultimate like high school mean girl and two that I have experienced a lot in high school, but not, you know, it was not an attack on my race because I am a white person. They're just like mean girls everywhere. But I do think the what I loved about the Haley character, I think, as you were saying, Tian, is that like it it does feel so representative of a type of white person that is trying to trying to be an ally or maybe isn't. And what's the worst thing that you can do? Like if you're if you're racist, it's equally bad to be called a racist that Mm -hmm. she is demanding in that moment when Star says that's racist. What you said, she's like, how dare you call me a race? Like you need to apologize for calling me racist. And that's like we both need to apologize. I'll apologize for this if you've apologized for calling me racist. And I feel like. It it was I loved how uh, when Star lets Haley go, it just felt like the last burden of of that she's letting go of this um, version of Star that was allowing people like that into her life. Yeah, I, I think that detail, Haley doesn't have yeah, much, but she does yeah. have the audacity. Like, how can you <laughs> ask someone if they say you said a racist uh, thing to me? It's like, well, you apologize first, and then I'll do it. <laughs> and then even later she also goes you apologize she goes you apologize first and my mom died too so <laughs> <laughs> she does mention that her mom's dead she's like are you upset because your friend uh, got shot and like it's that time of year <laughs> and, and even when she does I'm putting air quotes around this again apologize later she's like I'm sorry that I if I hurt you yeah. I'm sorry that your feelings yeah. got hurt. How did your feelings get hurt? Yeah, she's like, I'm sorry yeah. you reacted this way. <laughs> no, can you see Haley? Haley is like a tiny Karen in training. Like, I don't mm-hmm. mean to be trite, but she is. And you can like see she, her blowing up on the video. <laughs> she <laughs> would be in a viral video. Haley for is sure. not wearing a mask right now. And she's an anti vaxxer <laughs> and she's yelling at grocery store clerks. Anyway. Yes. And she's the one um, who names her daughter like Michaela with like an E and an I and a, a G and an Y and an H. And then is like, why are black names weird? Which is the thing that Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it wasn't just Haley. It was the whole school, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I I think yeah. Haley really stands out as an example of someone who is entirely unaware of their privilege and um, just wildly racist at every turn. But after mm-hmm. um, the protests start erupting and uh, the school decides perfect. that they're going to do a walkout to protest mm-hmm. his death... <sighs> I, I had this moment where I was like, oh, that's that's so good. They're, they're such tiny activists. And then um, Star nope. immediately started getting other texts being like, oh, good. We get a free day off. Like, great. We're not going to school today. I love to skip class. Um, Do you all remember who started the walkout in, in, in order to skip brother. Haley's brother. Oh, Haley's, Haley's brother. brother. She did. So this is a this is a household <laughs> issue. Yeah. Um, uh, I do want to talk for a second about the film and casting because something I found really interesting um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term colorism, it is a sort of horizontal prejudice that happens in communities of color where people who are considered more uh, have who have more proximity to whiteness have more privilege. And so I think it's really important to talk about the fact that Amanda Stenberg is half white 
they are a person of color and visibly coded as black, but they are very light skinned. And I thought it was really interesting how they were the most light skinned person in the in the cast who was black. Uh, but I also thought it was interesting that Mav was very dark skinned and Carlos played by Academy Award winner Common, was also very light-skinned. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if that had anything to do with the tension between Mav and Carlos also. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think it's also important to talk about the fact that uh, the woman who plays Maya, whose name I wrote down, Megan Mm -hmm. Lawless. Yes, Megan Lawless is also, uh, she's a mixed-race person. Mm -hmm. And KJ Appa, who plays Archie on Riverdale, a show that we've mentioned on this podcast (laughs) previously, and plays Chris in the... in the show is also a mixed race person, which a lot of people I think don't know. Um, he is a quarter Maori and mm. uh, his dad is a chief in the Maori tradition, which um, I think it's interesting how all of these people are mixed race, but are coded in different ways. Yeah. So we look at Chris, we're supposed to say, Chris is white, but right. also he has this indigenous community that he is a part of. And he and KJ Appa has never distanced himself from this community and is very open about it and has been since the beginning of, of his career in New Zealand. Um, and obviously, Amanda Stenberg is very open about fighting for Black rights. And they're very open about Black power and fighting for equality for Black people. And uh, Megan Lawless, I don't know as much, but I know that in an interview, she said that she's felt that she's had to hide her Chinese side at times and had to hide her white side at times. Mm. And I did feel like having her be mixed race kind of took some of the air out of the sails of the Maya story. And they yeah. didn't explore that more. And I she wasn't they really did. They never all. mentioned her last name. They never mentioned anything about her family. I think if you didn't if you no, didn't they, read the book, I mean visually there you might not have been able to to gauge that. Yeah. Yeah, if you didn't read the book you'd be like, "Wow, it's cool that they gave her a diverse friend." And I'm like, "No, that's intentional." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, it supposed to be a big part of it. Yeah, it was interesting that they cut that out because you only see Maya not getting it and then you see her at the end with Chris and Star when everything is like all pals ready to go. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, no, movie, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like we missed every Play second home. of growth that <laughs> <Yeah>. Maya had. <laughs> we missed their pact to stick together, mm-hmm. which I thought was super yeah. important. Yeah. And I think that we do have those moments as people of color. And I mean, it's real. And even if you are not of the same color or of the same community within your color, it's like when we are in primarily white spaces, we're like, I got you. I see you. I'm here to stick up for you. I went to Coachella with a large group of people one time and only one other person was a person of color. And I felt super left out of everything that was happening with my group. And they were exceedingly rude to me in a lot of instances. And the only other person of color in the group was the one who was like there for me at every turn. And I saw that and I recognized that. And it was very, there was a kinship there where he was like, no, I see you and I see what they're doing to you. And neither of us wanted to be like, hey, you guys are fucked up. And there wasn't anything we could point to specifically that was like, ah, you called Karama the N-word. But there was something there and he saw it and he made sure I was included at every turn when everyone was trying to exclude me. You know? 
Yeah. Drama, we got to go. We, then this book club is going to Coachella when things can happen again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. It's very hot there, though. I don't know if y'all want to do no, that. No, I... That sounds terrible. I'm, but I'm going yeah, to another no, I, event with you. It sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to Lollapalooza and stay at my parents' house. Great. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. You promised me that I could come and visit your parents, so I'm taking you up Mom on that. Mom and Dad, they, I mean, my parents say they listen to this podcast. Let's call their bluff. If you listen to this, uh, I hope I hope uh, Karama's coming and everyone's coming to come to Lollapalooza. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. Put us up for free, Schwartzes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is Popcorn Book Club. We'll be right back after this quick break. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back with Popcorn Book Club. A moment before we move on. Um, mm-hmm. I love in this part that Star lies about period cramps to get picked up by <laughs> Uncle Carlos. Uh-huh. Because I'm just like, again, you are reminded that we, these are teenagers. They're like so young mm-hmm. and like, how many of us have lied about period cramps? I have lied about period and cramps. I I've never stuff. lied about period <gasps> I, cramps. I, I, oh, I, oh, I yeah, certainly did. I also, yeah, what I felt like uh, another... <laughs> sweet detail about that to me was you could see how Carlos is this father figure like if that was not a father figure like could you imagine at 16 telling anyone but your mom and dad even that you have period cramps or like you know or uh, any man any any other man besides your father so I felt like there was that sweet intimacy and obviously Carlos knows that she's like 
full of it, but it, it I, I like that detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say I did tell my technical theater and production teacher in college that I had period cramps because I did not want to go to class. I was not lying, but I was like, I can't operate a saw. Oh, I just don't no. think that you should trust me with a saw. And he was like, stay home, never talk to me about this again. <laughs> I think, um, sorry, back to the the relationship with Carlos. I I love mm-hmm. that Devante subplot when he was staying with Carlos because we did sort mm-hmm. of see, we we got Carlos reconciling and growing with this idea of what it meant to leave the community, but what it meant to then help and, and contribute. And I, I liked him feeling like he is responsible for Devante and, and helping him along and, and really, yeah, it is a nuanced and complicated issue about like whether you leave or whether you stay. And I think it's one that doesn't have a single answer as, as seen by in the movie, they stay in the community and in the book, they move to a place that's sort of a compromise between uh, the mm-hmm. gated community that Carlos lives in and, and uh, Garden Heights, they sort of just end up, living in a, um, a a more diverse neighborhood. It's a little bit mm-hmm. out of town. Yeah. We should talk about the mm-hmm. Devante plot as well, because... Uh, yeah. Yes, I want to say something about Devante really quickly. I miss that he was kind of the only character that really called Chris out on anything. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there is no addressing of the fact that Chris is, to use a term that Devante used, a wigger. <laughs> like, he very much, a, a term that I feel like should come back in vogue. I I'm feel like not going to say that word. I'm very often. make that very clear. That's not a word I'm comfortable <laughs> using. It's a different letter. <laughs> That's a trick, Karama. Um, You're trying to trick word. me. <laughs> I am not at all trying to trick you. I've never tried to trick you into saying the N-word before. <laughs> and I won't do it today. Uh, I don't want you to say it. <laughs> Uh, which you don't. I think it's very clear. I can say now, here and now, Dana Schwartz does not say the N word. (laughs) (laughs) Your face is hilarious. Um, (laughs) But I think that there are moments that he has in the book where he like asks, he's like, okay, so wait, you guys were just like saying stuff about white people. So can I ask why you guys have like weird names, which is a huge trigger for me as I have an atypical for American society name. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, ugh, why would you ask that? And most people don't know what their names mean. And I just think it's really interesting that people who have names that aren't Susan or Sarah or Rebecca or any number of like, quote unquote, regular names that have been Mm -hmm. very normalized in American society Mm -hmm. are expected to be able to answer questions about their names all the time. Mm -hmm. And they do have very intentional names in terms of Maverick gave them intentional names. And I think that Angie Thomas does a really great job of choosing intentional names. Like the name Maverick is, I think, very on purpose. Mm -hmm. But like, do all of you know what your names mean? No, my parents just chose it because they liked it. (laughs) Well, fun fact, your name means arbiter. Dana? Yeah, or God is my judge. Oh my God, did you look up all our names? <laughs> oh, that's I did. So nice. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> I was prepared for this conversation. Melissa, your name means bumblebee. Or it, it, it's also the Greek nymph that taught man the use of honey. Ooh, that's nice. yep, because bees. Okay, yeah, that's very bees, cool. Also, my grandma's uh, roommate Jen. in her twenties. That's why. I was <laughs> <my> <laughs> But that's my yeah, thing. It's, it's like people get named after people. I was yeah. named after someone. I was named after my dad's aunt. Mm-hmm. That's why my name is what yeah. it is. 
Jennifer, your name means white. <laughs> yeah. So wait, I'm sorry. Your name is white, right? <laughs> it was supposed to be Guinevere, and, and then my parents changed it. Which also I means know. white. Yeah, about two days before I was born because they thought it would be too weird. So that's the story behind my name. <laughs> oh, my God. And Tian, I believe your name means fairy, but it was from a website that was not explicitly Vietnamese. So I only trust them as far as I can throw them. <laughs> so my my full Vietnamese name is actually Han Tien, and it's it's it. Together means happy fairy, oh, oh, which is very appropriate for this big old bell. dyke. <laughs> <laughs> the dance that the listeners are missing is I do, crucial. I think it is so important culturally that also so many like white names are just made up. Like Shakespeare just made up the name Jessica, by the way. Mm-hmm. He just made up a sound. And so like people, yeah. That's crazy. So it's like, that is what that is crazy. People like name, you know, like every name is just an arbitrary sound. Yeah. yeah every name is made up. People ask me regularly, is your name made up? Which I just think is the rudest question <laughs> you can ask. Incredibly <laughs> rude. Karama, I feel safe at I feel safe asking this since we've all talked about our names. So what can you tell us about your name? Well, I was named after my dad's aunt, um, who took care of him after his mom died when he was 17. Mm-hmm. So in, in essence, I'm like named after my gram- grandma. But it doesn't mean anything in the culture where I come from. It's just a family name. Uh, the time that I felt the most mm-hmm. seen in my life was when I was living in Ghana. And I had a teacher who was like, oh, your name's Karama? You're a Chim, which is the ethnic group that I come from there. And I was like, you see me, you know me. And <laughs> it's not a common name in Ghana either. That's why I was like, oh, man, even here, I'm a weirdo. Um, but in Arabic, apparently, people have told me this. It means dignity and generosity. If you are a listener who speaks Arabic and I am wrong, please feel free to at me on Twitter and tell me. All right, so back to the book. Um, we were going to talk about the Devante subplot because I do think that's important. And if we talk about nothing else, we should talk about Devante's character and how he advances the book. Uh, Jen, do you want to okay, take that? so Devante is working for King and King wants him to, I think, execute the person who shot his brother at the party. And Devante really does not want to do that. And it becomes very clear when Star and Maverick see him just lingering in Maverick's corner store a little bit too long. Um, And it becomes Mm -hmm. very clear that he's hiding from King and the King Lords. And he starts talking to Maverick about the situation he's in, how he wants to know how Maverick got out of being in the King Lords. And Maverick says, well, I, I went to jail for them. So that's how I got out. And it's like, one yeah, Devante <laughs> uh, does not want to go to jail. Um, very, very understandably. So uh, he, but he's clearly trying to get out of life in the King Lords. And for a little while, he works in Maverick's shop. Um, he's working pretty hard. Um, Maverick asks him what kind of grades he makes. He says he makes A's and B's at school. He's not dumb. Um, he has a little mm-hmm. bit of a flirtatious chemistry with Star. And uh, eventually it becomes very clear that King is looking for him and is going mm-hmm. to find him and do something ambiguously horrible to him. So they send Devante off to live with Uncle Carlos. And 
That means that he is also living down the street from Chris, uh, Star's boyfriend, and it brings those two people into contact with each other. So we can talk a little bit about that. They sort of have this then like adorable, cute little friendship playing video games together. And I think it helps Chris, who's sort of, I think, a, a, a mm-hmm. better well-developed character in the book because I think we get more of him than he, and he is in the movie. Mm-hmm. But we do see Chris actively trying to understand where Star comes from. And I think that de- hanging out with Devante then helps him in that world. And then the Devante subplot is what gets Star back to the neighborhood the night of the riots and protests. First, Devante leaves and they don't know what happened to him. And it turned out he went back to the neighborhood and he got jumped by the King Lords. Um, I think it's important to say he went back to the neighborhood because he wanted to go to, to his yes, brother's sorry, grave. Yes, sorry, to be yeah. with his brother's grave, but gets jumped and they, they go back into to Garden Heights, which is, uh, for the record, a fictional community. And they never say what state it's in, which I also thought was yeah. really important uh, mm-hmm. because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, an erroneous belief that stuff like this only happens in the South. And that's not true at all. And by not giving it an actual state, it could be in any state. It could be in your state, Mm -hmm. listener. So these things do happen in your state. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unless you live in, insert state here. I'm kidding. No, Uh, it happens in your state. I'm going to (laughs) go super fast over this just to to wrap it up. So I might miss one or two things. Mm -hmm. But uh, they go and they find uh, Devante, who's basically bleeding out on the second floor of of King's house and they're able to get in because of seven. Who's also uh, King's stepson sort of, you know, by his mother and mm-hmm. Kenya, who's King's daughter. And they, they help basically rescue uh, Devante with the help of Aisha, who seven had been mm-hmm. uh, so embarrassed by and sort of ashamed by and, and thinks of as a, as you know, a woman who overindulges King in a way that he finds really, um, troubling and then he doesn't even realize star is the one who realizes like no he just she just saved you like she went back yeah. to distract king and said take your sis both of your sisters not because yeah. she was tired not because like oh just get rid of your sisters because i'm tired of mm-hmm. them but because she was actively protecting them because when king saw Devante was going to be gone he was going to beat someone she essentially i mean she didn't die but she essentially sacrificed yeah. herself oh, yeah. she sacrificed her Health. She put herself in danger in order to protect and save her children because knowing mm-hmm. that she would um, get beaten once he discovers what well, happens. I think there's a constant theme throughout this book of people being willing to put themselves in positions of tremendous danger to defend people that they love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even Khalil, um, at the beginning, they talk about how he wanted to make money because he wanted to help yeah. his mom. He was still trying to save his mother. His last words were asking if Star was okay. Yeah. Speaking of sacrifice and and putting yourself in danger, you know, after the protests and the riots and they almost die in Mav's shop because King King's uh, guys throw in a, what's it called? Molotov a, cocktail. A Molotov, Molotov cocktail. cocktail. And they almost die, and it's this very scary scene, and they're rescued. And then when everyone snitches on King, and they realize that King will will be out by the end of the week, um, Devante says that he will um, he will be an informant and tell them where the drugs are, so that they will that he will stay in prison. And that is 
his his sacrifice, you know, um, at the end of the book. Which also speaks to mandatory minimums and how drug charges have much longer sentences than, than murder. Arson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which yeah. the book, which the film doesn't get into, but is a, a really excellent point. Mm-hmm. And it- well, and the end of the film is very different with yeah. Sakani having the gun. Mm-hmm. And I understand that it needed something stronger visually. Uh, and it was definitely very strong. I was like, oh, no, my sweet baby. Because I love Sakani. He's my favorite. I love that the first scene we see him in in the movie is him peeing wrong. <laughs> he's just missing the he's just missing the toilet. Um, his name means joy. They don't get into yeah. His name means joy since we're on name meanings. Um, <laughs> um, I think that it's important, I guess, for the plot development to have it wrap up with the hate you give little infants and show this is it. This is the visual manifestation of this is. Sakani holding a gun at King saying, leave my daddy alone. Mm-hmm. And it fucks everyone mm-hmm. because if the police, I was surprised the police didn't arrest him, but the police show up and point guns at Sakani. Yeah. Right. And I think part of it, if he had been a white kid with a gun, it would have maybe been a slightly different situation, especially because he didn't have his gun pointed at anybody else. Um, like and any another, of the police, I mean. I mean, important moment in the, in the book, sort of a climax is during the protest uh, Star gets the courage to climb on a car and grab a megaphone and use it to to talk about her experience publicly about being the witness. And that was, that's her, I think, you know, big moment to her act of courage is being able to publicly speak out about this and and hold the, the weapon of the megaphone. I thought one motif that I thought was really beautiful was the the literal ways in which Star finds her voice throughout Mm -hmm. the story that it starts with her you know she doesn't tell her friends at school she doesn't tell chris she has to go to the police like or she decides she wants to but she tries to back out at a certain point and then after that experience you know she talks to the grand jury and then she does the interview but the interview is still anonymous and so and then Mm -hmm. that final moment was so I mean, it w- w- felt so emotional of her getting on that cop car. And it was that true moment of her finding her voice with a literal bullhorn. And I mm-hmm. I just loved that arc. And now we can go back to the grand jury. Mm-hmm. But I just thought the way Angie wrote those and sort of... but And talking to Chris at prom about it, too, was like... A, it was each like unfolding of it and opening up and speaking her truth. I just thought it was so beautiful. You're listening to Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio, and we'll be back right after the break. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. 
that personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back with Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio. I know that um, for queer people, you have to come out multiple times. Like everybody's like, oh, you came out. And it's like, no, I have to come out all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, if I ever have a partner that is uh, like, I personally am bisexual. So if I have a partner who is of uh, a similar gender to me, then I have to be like, yes, this is a thing. And like, particularly because I have dated people who were not of similar genders to me, then I have to come out again. And I think that being Black and having intimate relationships with white people, whether it's friendship, whether it's family in some people's cases, or whether it is a relationship, you have to, in a way, sort of come out over and over again and show them aspects of your Blackness over and over again. And like, there are just things that you don't talk about. Like, I have a friend who's going to be in prison until 2030, and I don't talk about that a lot. And when I do talk about it, I feel bad because I'm like, ah, I just dumped a whole bunch of stuff on you. And my friends are like, well, now I understand a lot more about you and why certain things maybe get under your skin. And like, I think that people should be able to vote after they've served their time. Mm -hmm. That's not, they should be. It's ridiculous. If you're in prison um, for Mm -hmm. political parties, it's insane that that doesn't happen. I also believe that people should be able to vote while they're in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's a little bit more controversial. It does exist in some states, but I think at the very least, the bare minimum is that if you've served your time, you've done your debt to society, uh, we can argue about whether prison should even be the punishment because recidivism is out of control mm-hmm. um, and it makes it harder to get a job after you've been in prison. Like being in prison truly ruins people's lives. Mm-hmm. But I think that knowing that about me, gives people insight in a different way but it's also a thing that you can't just whip out at parties like i mean dana's known me for years and years and she just found that out right now as we're recording a podcast and i've known this friend my friend who is incarcerated currently since i was four years old and he's like my brother he's basically my Devante, and i'm so grateful that he is alive and that when he was arrested he survived that but it's also like, at what cost? Like, what life is he going to have if he gets out? Right. Mm-hmm. 
to bring it back to the hate you give is I do feel like it's all part of the same problem where this system of law enforcement mm-hmm. is one in which someone like 115 gets to determine Khalil's entire life and death. Where, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in a different universe, Khalil might have been arrested for for drug dealing, you know, and mm-hmm. that would have been better than being murdered. But it's still a systemic act of violence against his body where he just can't, like, live as a person in the world because the entire system is rigged against him. In a different reality, he might have been stopped and frisked. And mm-hmm. a lot of stop and frisk yeah. does uh, end up as effectively a sort of sexual assault where they are Mm -hmm. violated and the people who are stopped and frisked are violated by these police officers and Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, and you can get raped by a police officer legally in like 20 states or something. Mm -hmm. Like it's truly bananas. The levels at which we do not hold police accountable. What, why are we letting that happen? Also, in a in a very different world, he wouldn't have needed to drug deal to pay for his grandmother's cancer yeah. treatments because medical yes. care would be affordable. America is right. not a good place. <laughs> no. I mean, no. there are good parts, and that's the thing. We are yeah. we are all responsible as people in this country for trying to make the good parts outweigh the bad parts. Mm-hmm. And some of the good parts are some of the freedoms that we hold, like freedom of speech. We get to say all this stuff because of the First Amendment in the Constitution. But I think people forget that the Constitution is supposed to be a living, breathing document. And mm-hmm. a lot of people forget that we're saying the First Amendment. It wasn't in the Constitution that we got freedom of yep. speech. We amended it because we were like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a thing people should have. And mm-hmm. we amended the Constitution to uh, <laughs> abolish slavery, except, uh, I think that except is a big word in the 13th Amendment, mm-hmm. but we keep making changes. We amended the Constitution to prohibit alcohol, and then we amended it back because we were like, like oh, what? remember alcohol? Like that. That, <laughs> this is boring. I think the problem, the problem with American exceptionalism is when people assume that this is the only way. So it's like, I think the, America is exceptional in some ways. It's like, yeah, well, great that in theory we have communication and freedoms and changing, but that then that idea that America is the best bites us in the ass because then it prevents us from making it better. Um, I, I think it's also a culture that actively disparages learning about other cultures. It's one of the only, my family mm-hmm. is Canadian. Um, I, I was born here. I'm a dual citizen, but uh, everybody in my family, because they're Canadian. Run away. Oh my gosh. Yeah, why why are, are you still here? <laughs> um, it's a really good question. You know, I, I think in the same way, the people in this book to bring it back to the book can want to stay in Garden Heights because you think that Mm -hmm. if you use your voice and you try to be a good person, you can make things a little bit better. Maybe that's what we're all trying to do with America right now, I hope. Um, But yeah, but it's a culture where the entire rest of my family speaks uh, French and English because you learn French in the schools. Fancy. And you also learn English. Um, I don't. Parlez-vous français? <laughs> oh, never mind. Can I also just say on the record, Jennifer, you are the fanciest bitch I know. Oh, thank you. That's nice of you. Um, <laughs> wow. Wow. Shots fired. She is. Uh, 
Um, well, thanks, thanks, uh, Melissa. I think you are fancy, and Tian, I think you are <laughs> well, fancy. Sorry, guys, you guys so have to high. invite me one day. Invite me to a party where the alcohol served is exclusively champagne, and then you will also compete for the fanciest bitch I know award. Okay. Um, I will okay. also say that <laughs> here's the that. fanciest thing that I will ever say. Growing up, I was told never to use the word fancy because it's vulgar. <laughs> Fancy bitch. That is so I am funny. not. Okay, fancy. That's the fanciest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, that's super Guinevere. Oh, when you're fancy, we're gonna call you Guinevere from now on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do think actually, just to bring but, it back um, to the yeah, book, yes, actually, one of the Sorry, first. Yes, we should bring this yes, back to the book. Please do. Well, in the very first scene in the book, I think it's actually the very first line in the book. Star says, "I don't belong here." And she's at this party and she's like, I don't belong here. And then she says, and that's not on some bougie shit, which um, I thought was really interesting because there is the immediate thing like, well, I'm not bougie. I'm not trying to think that I'm better than anybody. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of defense of that that has to happen for Star because she goes to this school. And I know that for me, when I was younger, when I even younger than Star, when I was like 11 and 12, I got called an Oreo a lot because I liked school. And mm. uh, do you guys know that term? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously not the cookie, but um, so for listeners who might not, an Oreo is a person who is black on the outside and white on the inside. So I got mm-hmm. called, I got told I'd act white. I got told that I was an Oreo. And I think thankfully, because there is less of a larger cultural belief not just in Black cultures, but in American culture, that there is this monolith of Blackness, Black people feel less like they have to hold everybody to the standard of this monolith of Blackness. And I think that one of the reasons that people do that is because, or not do that, but did that to me is because if I am seen as different from them and I think that I'm better than them, then they are worse And they are the people who are getting stopped by the police. Like, I drive a Prius with a Brown University sticker on the back. And I think that's probably a large part of why I very rarely get pulled over by cops. I can count on one hand how many times I've been pulled over. And both times I was deeply afraid. I was lucky I didn't get a ticket either time. But the second time, I know that it was probably the fact that I had somebody who was not Black in the car with me that made it not an altercation of any sort. And I think that Star's mom says that you can do everything right and things can still go wrong. But the important thing is to keep doing right. And she said that more in terms of speaking out and speaking up. But I feel like Khalil was frustrated because he did everything right and he was still getting pulled over. And the thing is, you have to keep doing everything right. You just still mm-hmm. have to keep doing it. It sort of reminded me also of when it's so horrible that there are so many people that I'm like, do you remember when Michael Brown died? And it was the the phrase, mm-hmm. they, I think they used the phrase like, he was no angel to describe oh, yeah. him. Oh yeah, they distinctly Where, said that in, in the, the newspaper. newspaper. So it's, I think making Khalil a drug dealer for like reasons justifiable or not, like he was just like a young kid caught up in this community is really important in this book because it doesn't make his life any less meaningful or valuable. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to be a sweet person or a good person or a nice person to not, to have it be bad that cops indiscriminately murder you. Yeah, we don't live in the Wild West. Even if you are objectively a very (laughs) bad, fully murderous person, cops shouldn't be allowed to just shoot you in the street when you're inside your car. 
And I think the other side of that too is for Star, she learns in that same conversation, Karma, that you brought up where her mom talks to her. Oh, I think I think they go through a blockade to get back into the neighborhood as protests are happening. And she's still, she has PTSD and she's worried about the cops because she also could have been killed in Mm -hmm. that because the cop pointed the gun at her. So like, Mm -hmm. I think the conversation that is, that needs to be a part of it too, is that there's no amount of respectability that black folks can move about in this world without being policed by a violent state Mm -hmm. in a racist Mm -hmm. society. And that like someone like Star, who did everything right, who goes to a private school, who is a good kid, could also fall victim to state violence. That's our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dana Schwartz, and you can find me on Twitter at Dana Schwartz with three Zs. You can follow Jennifer Wright at Jen Ashley Wright. Karama Dankwa is at Karama Drama. Melissa Hunter is at Melissa FTW. And Tian Tran is smart enough to have gotten off Twitter, but she is on Insta at Hank Tina. Our executive producer is Christopher Hesiotis, and we're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Special thanks to David Wasserman. Next week, I am so excited to say we sit down with author Angie Thomas to talk about The Hate You Give. I am so excited about this conversation. I cannot wait for you all to hear it. Popcorn Book Club is a production of iHeartRadio. See you next week. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Kris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.